Good morning and welcome to the story. Our children are dismissed to go to their Bible classes where they're going to be studying the story. They're going to be studying what we're studying in here right now. Genesis, the beginning of creation. You know, there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. And we're going to cover all 66 books in 31 lessons. Now, we're not going to go into detail. We're not going to go into every parable. But you're going to get the big picture during this next 31 weeks. We're going to look at the major narratives. So you can be the, see the bigger story of God. And, and each week, what you're going to notice is that there is an upper story and a lower story. This upper story is way up here where God exists. See, God knows all things. God created all things. God knows the future, and God has a plan for sinful man. But you know what? We're down here living the lower story, aren't we? Have you ever looked up and said, God, what's going on up there? We don't understand it because we don't see the upper story. Well, I want you to see the upper story as we go through the story so it will build our faith in God. It starts with faith, this journey that we're on. And guess what it ends with, folks? Faith. It starts and ends with faith. Now, I want to give you the big idea right up front. And um, I think I got this at the bottom of your notes. But it says this. God creates, and it's all good. Man sins, and it all falls apart but God can fix it. That really is the gospel message. God can fix it. Theologians call this the scheme of redemption. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, what was the result of the fall? God says, man, you're now going to what? You're going to labor. You're going to toil. You're going to work to produce fruit from the ground. See, in the garden, it was easy. Now he's got to work. And to the woman, he says, you're going to bear pain and childbearing. And to the serpent, he says, listen to what's going to happen to you. You're not going to crawl on your belly, but one day, the seed of this woman here, the seed of woman, is going to raise up someone who's going to crush your head. It's the picture of a man stomping the life out of a serpent. And where do you stomp on a serpent if you want to kill it? The tail or the head? Head. And you know what that's the picture of? the cross. The cross was not defeat for Jesus. Satan was receiving a death blow. Sins of the whole world were being taken away. And now what does the devil know? The devil doesn't have supernatural knowledge of the future. He's got to figure things out just the way you and I figure things out. And so as the Bible, the story was being written, guess who's paying very careful attention to it? Satan himself. And Satan knows what? One of these days, I'm going to get a excedrin headache number 22, you know? And I don't want that. And so his plan is to mess up man. And so we're not even out of the book of Genesis yet, and we have the very first murder. Cain killed his brother Abel, and the devil laughs. But Genesis 3.15 begins another story, an upper story that you might call, but God. Because whenever it looks like the devil's going to win, you'll always read a phrase like this. But God had Adam and Eve give birth to another son named Saith. 
and the seed line continues. Do you see that? The seed of woman must be born to destroy the devil. Next week, we're going to see, just briefly, we'll start with the story of Noah. The devil says, well, you know what? I'm going to mess mankind up so badly that they'll only think evil all the time, and it's going to grieve God that he even created man, and I'll wipe them all out. And that's exactly what God decides to do. But then you'll read a verse like this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of who? The Lord, the God. But God, but God, but God. Sometimes it gets down to just one person to keep that seed line alive. And it's a battle between Satan and God. Guess who's going to win? God's always going to win. It's no contest, folks. That's the upper story. We're living the lower story. And as we build faith, those two things will come together. Now, it makes sense for the Bible story to open with these words. Look on the screen. In the beginning, God. Who's the hero? God is. Who's this story about? God, it's his story. You you remember Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life? You remember how that first chapter starts? It's not about you. See, we we think, you know, we're so egocentristic, we're kind of born out of the womb that way. Life's all about us, because we're always thinking about us, right? But it really, the Bible says, it's all about him. It's his story. You know what the word Genesis means? It means beginnings. It means origins. Someone said history is really his story recorded in the story. Theologians call that the scheme of redemption. I mentioned that, didn't I? But do you know what the word redemption means? It's a compound word, re-meaning again. You, You record your voice on a tape recorder and you play it back again. Anybody besides you had your mother tell you to go back and remake your bed or re-sweep the floor? You know, do it again. And then the word redemption means to purchase. Are any of you old enough, like I am, to remember S&H green stamps? You know, you'd get them at the grocery store and then you'd wear your tongue out licking them and sticking them in these books. And then you would take those books to a redemption store and you could purchase things with them. Well, that brings back a memory, doesn't it? (laughs) But you know what? That's sort of the story of the Bible. Man fell, and now we all belong to God. But the scheme of redemption says, I will die for mankind, and I will purchase them back again to myself. And what's it going to cost me? My blood on a cross. Satan's going to get a headache. I'm going to stomp the life out of him. And I'm going to redeem my church and one day take my church with me to heaven. The main character is God. Scientists will tell you that you need five things for us to exist. You need time, you need energy, you need force, you need space, you need matter. In the beginning, time, God, energy, created, force, the heavens, space, and earth, matter. All five elements exist in the very first verse of the Bible. Genesis, a big important point to remember here, is written for us, but it is not written to us. I'm going to repeat that again and again throughout today and throughout the coming weeks because you need to understand it was written to a different culture, a different time, to the ancients, but it was also for us. Not to us, but for us. God had us in mind. 
It's as if you found a letter on the ground that was written to somebody else, and you pick up the letter, and as you're reading the letter, you go, boy, this is very, very applicable, <laughs> applicable to my life. And so you take it in. I'm holding in my hand a book called Letters to Karen. Some of you have read that. Whenever I do a wedding, a marriage, and when I do my premarital, I have the, the husband and the wife, future husband and wife, read this book. It was written by Dr. Charlie W. Shedd. He was a preacher. And he told his daughter, who was a senior in college, whenever you're out and about, study marriages and emulate what couples that have it together are doing. And she wrote her dad a letter one day and says, Dad, you know I'm getting married after I graduate, and I can't think of anyone with a better marriage than you and Mom, so would you mind writing me, you know, some letters to help me to be a good wife and so that our marriage will have a strong basis? And so her father started writing her a letter a week her senior year. And as, as she received these letters... She started sharing them with some of her roommates who were getting married. You know, my dad said something about that. My dad said something. And these, they started being copied. They shared them with their friends, their friends, and they started copying them all over campus. And before long, he, she said, Dad, you ought to write a book. This, this goes way back to 1965, and back then it had 1.8 million copies in print, many more than that even today. But you know what? Even though I have you read it, it was not written to you, but it was written for you. There are many applications in the Bible that are exactly the same way. Written to the ancients, but we can glean a whole lot from it. You know that the Bible is the number one selling book year after year after year since they started keeping records of this sort of thing? 168,000 Bibles are sold every single day. A day. It's the most translated book in the world over 700 different languages no other book like this it's like an outside force an outside agent is keeping this book alive because let me tell you the devil doesn't like this book and there's a lot of men that don't like this book and they've tried to destroy it there's been bible burnings but yet it thrives it lives and it will never go away how do i know that because matthew 24 35 says heaven and earth will pass away but my word will what Never pass away. It's going to keep on going and going and going. That's the Word of God. So, number one, Genesis is written for us, but it's not written to us. Keep that in mind as we go through the Bible. Number two, Genesis is not a science book. However, I will say this. There is no bad science in the Bible. You will not find any bad science in that book. As a matter of fact, there's a book older than Genesis. It's called the Book of Job. And if you read through the Book of Job, you'll find several scientific facts that as men would read the Bible, they didn't understand what they were even reading until centuries later when they understood that when Job started talking about paths running through the sea, he was talking about the ocean currents. And, you know, we now know there's ocean currents running through the oceans, paths of the sea. And he talks about snowflakes being diverse one from another of all the trillions and gazillions of snowflakes that have fallen from the sky. There are no two exactly alike. How did Job know that without a microscope? It's an inspired book. And although it's not a science book, there's no bad science in it. It deals with the why of creation, not the how of creation. You know why, don't you? If he dealt with the how of creation, this book wouldn't be that thin. It would be that thick. Just getting through Genesis of how he did it. And then once we read it, 
we wouldn't understand it anyway. We just don't have the mind to conceive and understand. We don't have the mind of God. Aren't you glad that you have a God that's bigger than you? Aren't you glad that you've got a God that you can't understand, that you cannot comprehend? Because if I could comprehend him, he wouldn't be a very big God. But my God is big. And he wrote this book to tell us why he created, not how he created. He deals with really four things. Number one, origins. He, he, he wants us to know where we came from because the ancients had all these crazy ideas about where we came from. He wants us to deal with the meaning of life. You know, have you ever asked yourself, why am I here? What's my purpose in being here? He wants us to deal with morality. And if there is a God, he did create me and I'm here for a purpose, is there a right? Is there a wrong? He wants us to deal with that. And then finally, destiny. If I know where I came from, I know what I'm doing here, where am I going one day when this life is over? Those are three huge questions that the Bible deals with. That's really what's going on here. You say, well, Bruce, isn't it true that other ancient civilizations have had their story of how the world began? I would say yes, but very, very different from this book. Just because two things have something in common doesn't mean they have everything in common. You have ears, right? Elephants have ears. You have anything else in common? Not a whole lot. doesn't make you an elephant, folks. So let's take a look at some of the commonalities of the origins of the ancients. And the one thing you will always find is, number one, their world that was created that they talk about always came from something that already existed. God calls something out of nothing. That's the way it works. They didn't understand that. Uh, one of their famous stories, look up here. See that sea creature? See that big sea monster up there? One story says that this sea monster came up out of the sea and created everything. But they never explain where the sea monster came from. And they don't explain where the sea comes from. They just say, that's how we got here. Another uh, story says that there's a plurality of gods. And these gods were always fighting each other. And the winner got to create the earth. But again, no explanation. Carl Sagan, you, you know Carl Sagan. You've heard that name in the past, the famous astronomer and scientist. And uh, Francis Crick. Um, these are scientists. Well, let me just read what they wrote. Here's what they believe. Life on earth began when our planet was seeded with life by alien life forms elsewhere in the cosmos. Folks, did you know you came from aliens? I mean, that's what they would have you to believe. But again, no one explains where do the aliens come from, right? Nobody deals with creation like the Bible does. And, and, and the ancients talked about their gods constantly fighting each other. But then using mankind to serve them. That's the ancient concept of the gods and creation. They created us so that we could serve them. And you say, well, isn't that true of Christians today? Didn't God create us so that we would serve him? <laughs> no. That's in the Hebrew, that part there. Not at all. He's got angels to serve him. With I, I, sir, right away, sir, yes, sir, no, sir. Aren't there days you don't feel like serving God? God's got a whole lot better creatures to serve him than us. You know what God wants from us? He wants your heart, young man. He wants your soul. He wants you to commit to him 
And you know, once he has my heart, once I know what a loving, faithful God that he is, I don't mind serving him at all. How about you? It's not a have to, it's a want to now. Very different story from the ancients. Very different relationship. The ancients were not sure what was a god and what wasn't a god. And so you know what? They worshipped just about everything. Anything they didn't understand, they worshipped. The sun, the moon, the stars, anything unexplainable. They, they knew the sun kind of controlled the day and the, the moon the night. And you got the tides and you got weather and all that stuff. But the commonality of all the ancient gods is that they all fought against what they called the chaos monsters. Chaos monsters. I think there's a reason they got that. They got that sort of from Genesis. I don't have time to deal with that. But, if well, let me just briefly say this. It talks about this shapeless void, this mass of chaos. Remember in the beginning when God created them, the, the earth was without form and without void. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But that's called chaos. And so they take that word and they come up with their ancient ideas, which is very, very contrary from the Bible. But I think that's the origins, the genesis of that thought anyway. But the book of Genesis was written to clear up for us the confusion of origins. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know who wrote the book of Genesis? Charlton Heston, right? I mean, Moses. Moses wrote it. You say, well, when did Moses write the book of Genesis? Well, you remember one day God says, let's have a little talk up on Mount Sinai. And there he gave him what? The Ten Commandments. And there, Moses and God, from that burning bush to the time they crossed over the Jordan River, had a lot of time to talk and commune and to fellowship. And God gave Moses the true story to clear up for the ancients the wrong story. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all came through the pen of Moses, guided, of course, by the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you see that word created? It's the Hebrew ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. Who can do that but God? Who can just speak a word and it exists? Only God. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing. And now all of a sudden, the ancients, they would understand this text. They would understand what what Moses was trying to say, that there must be one God who created everything out of nothing. He must be the one true sovereign God. He's the one that we should worship. They understood how a king and a kingdom worked. The king, creator, isn't subject to anyone if you can create out of nothing. And the king, creator, doesn't have to fear anything if he created it. Remember, they feared the sea monsters. They feared the whales. You know, anyone ever go to marine land years and years ago and see bubbles, the whale? Or maybe San Diego, you know, to uh, see uh, orca, you know? God created orca. God created bubbles. But see, if you were an ancient and you saw these creatures coming out of the sea, you don't, wow, that's mysterious. You don't understand it, and so you would worship it. And so Moses 
he writes the true story to clear it all up and to clear up the fear. Well, if there's a God who has Orca as one of his pets, then this God must fear nothing. And so if I worship this God, I don't have to fear anything either. Notice Genesis 1.21. So God created the great sea monsters and every living thing in which the water teems. The number one commandment is fear not, fear not, fear not. They don't have to fear those things anymore. They don't have to fear the unexplained because they know there's a creator God. And when they know the creator God, they don't have to fear anything. Chapter 1, verse 2a, now the earth was formless and what? Empty. Hebrew, two words. You want to remember these. Tohu wa bohu. Tohu and bohu. Those are two words. Formless and empty. It literally means shapeless mass. And so what he's describing here is, first, God takes all the ingredients, all the stuff that he's going to make the world with, and then he creates the world. You ever bake a cake? What do you do? You get out all your ingredients first. You get out the dry ingredients, the wet ingredients, the seasoning, uh, you know, the egg, the flour, the baking powder, all that stuff. Now, none of it by itself is any good. I mean, you wouldn't reach in and eat a cup of flour. I mean, yeah, that'd be horrible. But you get all that stuff mixed together in the proper proportions, and you put it in the uh, you know, baking dish, you put it in the oven, out comes this wonderful cake, and it tastes delicious. Well, that's sort of what God did. Tohu wabohu, there's a shapeless mass. He created all the stuff, and then he baked the cake. Then he created the universe. Does that make sense? So that's the way that God did it. You heard about the scientists that uh, came to God with a challenge. They said, God, you know, we don't really need you anymore. Did you hear this story? And they said, you know, we, we, can, now, uh, we can now create just like you can. We, we, we've cloned Dolly the lamb, and we can even clone human beings. And so let's have a little contest, God. And God says, well, bring it on. And the scientist reaches down and gets a bunch of dirt, and God says, uh-uh, uh-uh, get your own dirt. <laughs> See, they create something out of what God has already created. It doesn't work that way, folks. God is creator God. It is him that we worship. It is him that we fear. And when we fear him, we don't fear anything else. Here's the point. God can take the chaotic, shapeless mess of your life and make something beautiful out of it. Genesis 1, verse 2b. Not only was there tohu wabohu, there was darkness, and it hovered over the earth. That word for hover there, it's the picture of a mother bird hovering over her little birds to teach them to fly. And so God is hovering over the shapeless mass. And like a mother bird is, is teaching it to be what? Effective. He uses that shapeless mass and he creates and he makes a very effective world. Darkness hovered over the earth. He's teaching the world to fly over the surface of the deep. And so what is the purpose of creation then? Let's boil it down to a sentence here. To bring order out of chaos so that human beings could have a wonderful home in which to live. And we do. And as good as our home is, 
We've got uh, air to breathe. We've got vegetation. We've got light. We've got you know, a wonderful planet. If you've ever been to Yosemite, if you've been to Lake Powell, two different places, but both wonderful. Lots of neat things in this world. It's still a fallen world. didn't look anything like the world that God, well, not anything, but it didn't look exactly like the world that God created. Somebody says, Bruce, why didn't God create a perfect world? He did. Man messed it up by sinning, and now we live in a fallen world, and even the world that we live in groans to be like the original. They didn't have earthquakes. They didn't have tornadoes. They were in a garden setting. Well, let's take a look quickly at this six days of creation. Number one, God said, let there be light. Now, this is general light. God, I I love the order. Our God is a God of order. Uh, Notice how the first three days of creation coincide with the last three days of creation. They all fit together. God is a proper order. You've got to have light. And so you've got to have photosynthesis, and that's what's happening in the first day. This is a general light. Number two, God divided the waters from above from the waters below. One of the questions I used to ask my children in children's church years ago, who was the oldest man that ever lived? Do you know? Methuselah. How old was he when he died? And the kids would all say, 969. And you say, oh, that's impossible. How could a man live 969 years? Remember, they lived in a, in a pre-flood world, didn't they? God divided the waters from above from the waters below. Now, that picture there doesn't do it justice. That's sort of our world, but that's all I could find on the Internet, folks. The world that Adam and Eve lived in, if you looked up, you wouldn't see that sky. You would see almost a fishbowl effect. I'm trying to imagine it. I don't really know for sure, but I kind of get some idea what the rings of Saturn maybe kind of look like. But it had never rained before Noah. We're going to look at that next week. How did God water the earth then? Through a mist. God had his own sprinkler system. I told you, it's a a similar world, but it's not the same world in which you and I live. We live in the fallen one. They had the perfect one. And so as you looked up, and you saw those lights, and then eventually he creates what? The sun. What causes us to age? The harmful ultraviolet rays of the sun are now being screened out by what? The firmament in the sky, this canopy that's up there. Now, God gave man a commandment. Do you remember what it was? Be fruitful and multiply and what? Subdue the earth. Now, we've got a big earth. We've got to multiply, right? And we're starting with two, so guess what? He gave them a long time to do that. You lived five, six, seven hundred years, as in the case of Methuselah, 969 years. Oldest man that ever lived because of that firmament. But then God caused it to rain, broke the canopy, and then mankind, the age of mankind, drops off dramatically after the flood. That's the reason for that. Number three, dry land and vegetation. It's like God knew there needed to be a food chain because we would need to eat, and so that begins. Day four, the sun, the moon, the stars. These are particular lights. Someone says, well, didn't he already create light? No, these are particular lights. This is our sun, our moon. You know, uh, tell me, Design does not demand a designer. It does. 
our God placed our planet and our sun and our moon in exactly the right orbits. You get us one degree closer to the sun, guess what? We all kind of burn up. One degree further, we all freeze to death. And so our God is a God of order, a God of perfection, put us right in the exact place in the solar system that we needed to be. Genesis 1.16, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Now the ancients would know that the sun's not God. See, that's what they believed up to this point. They would now know that the moon is not God. That God is God. The Creator is God. Worship Him. You know, we, we look back at the ancients and say, boy, they were so dumb. They were so foolish. They were so stupid for worshiping the sun. Well, I wonder what the ancients would think of us if they were to see what we worship today. If they were to come into our world, worship is anything you trust, serve, and obey. They would say, you know, what I notice about the people of this generation, they, they worship this thing called money. Because they, they devote their life to it. They devote everything they have to this thing called money. They trust in their power, their prestige, their position. They obey whatever they have to obey to get those things. And that's what they serve. They would think we were very, very dumb today. Just as we thought they were dumb then. The only thing we should serve, trust, and obey is who? God, the creator. Day five, fishes and fowl. But notice the order again. Now the fish have water to swim in. The birds have sky to fly in. And then sixth day we get animals and man, the ultimate of God's creation. And Adam's doing just fine for a while, I think, in the garden. I mean, he's, he's busy. You know, he's checking out the garden. He's uh, naming the animals, you know, monkey, giraffe, kangaroo. And he's just going through naming all these things. And finally he's all done. He goes, hey, wait, wait a second here. All of them have mates. Where's mine? And so God causes a deep sleep to fall upon this man called Adam, and from his rib he fashioned a woman where she was taken from the man. And now the two of them, working side by side, remember that's where the rib came from, are serving, trusting, and obeying their, their creator. And it's working beautifully. 126, then God said, let us make man in what kind of image? Our image. Who is the our? Who is the us? This, of course, is the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity that we speak of. And, you know, this is a real stumbling block for some folks. I don't know why. You know, I mean, we live in a space-time dimension, and so I guess that is one of the reasons but you know what? If we lived outside the space-time dimension, three can be one very simply, and we go, oh, I get it now, and one day we'll see it more clearly. Today we receive it by faith because the Bible tells us so. But one day we'll see God face-to-face, -face and we'll understand how three can be one at the same time. We do kind of understand that concept, though, even now, don't we? What's the chemical compound for water? H2O. And H2O can be... A liquid, a solid, or a gas. Liquid in its liquid form, water, H2O. You freeze it, it becomes ice, a solid, H2O. Heat it up and it becomes steam, a gas. H it's all H2O, folks. And so there's one God in three persons. We call that 
the Godhead. And they were talking in heaven. They said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and he said, it is very good. You know what the word for good there means? It works. It works. He created the world in six days and said, you know what? It works. I love this. The ancients now know there is a God, and he had us in mind from the very, very beginning. Now, what's God do on the seventh day? It's not a day of creation. A lot of times we think of the seven days of creation. No, there's only six. On the seventh day, it says he rested. Does that mean, boy, boy, God says, you know, I'm, I'm really worn out. I'm really tired. This, you know, this universe making is, is quite exhausting, so I need a day off. No. He gave himself a day off to give us a principle that one in seven we need to take off. Every seven days, take a day off. And rest your body and think about me. Remember me. He sets the example for us way back then. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had begun. That word for finish means final stroke. You know, it's like the Sistine Chapel. You know, when the final stroke was put on there, one more would be too many, one less wouldn't be enough. And he said, boom, done, enough. It is finished. He finished the work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. Now that was written, again, remember this phrase. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. Who was it written to? The ancients and their concept of God. And ancients understood when a king rested, it meant that he conquered all of his enemies and he sat on his throne in victory. And that's the picture of God when he's saying, It's all good. It's all good. That's what that means. The ancients would understand that concept. Chaos has been defeated. Tohu wabohu, that shapeless mass, that chaotic situation is now under control. And the king rests on his throne. He sits on his throne. But chaos is about to make a comeback, folks, in verse 9. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees. And they grew where? Out of the ground. These trees were pleasing to the eye. They were good for food. And in the middle of the garden. Oh. What's he place? A tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever thought, God, why did you have to put that in the middle of the garden? That forbidden fruit? Why, why, why didn't you put it someplace far away that I couldn't see it, out of sight, out of mind, and I would not be tempted? Right? You ever think that thought? Why right in the middle? Why i got to pass it every single day. Because the ancients would know that a king requires loyalty of, of his subjects. And every single day, the king of kings and lord of lords has the right to ask you, Who will you serve this day? Who will you obey this day? That's why it's right there in the middle. It's a test of loyalty. 
And every day, Adam and Eve would pass it and say, we're serving the Lord, we're serving the Lord, we're serving the Lord. And then one day, the serpent enters in, right? He enters into the picture. In the middle of the garden, were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for the, when you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Satan comes in, and Satan has a conversation with man. Hey, nice place you live here. Yeah, yeah, God made it all for us. This is all ours. Really? All yours? Yeah, yeah. You can eat all these trees? Oh, yeah, all of them, every single one. Well, except for that one over there in the middle. You want to know why God didn't want you eating from that tree? No, why, why didn't he want us to eat? He said, he said, if we eat from that tree, we'll die. And the devil changes one word. He says, you'll not die. God says, surely die. Satan says, not die. God says, or Satan says, God knows that the day you eat of that tree, you become like God. Ooh, he just planted one difficult seed, didn't he? God's doing what? Holding out on me. Adam, that night when they went to bed, don't you know they got to thinking, God, God's holding out on us. He said we would die. He, he, he just doesn't want us to be like him. I don't know how long all this event took, but I know in time, the devil won them over. And isn't that just like the devil? Go for it. Do it. You deserve it. You deserve to be like God. When you were a kid, anyone ever talk you into doing something stupid? Yeah, do it. Yeah, Throw that rock through the window. Yeah, go for it, man. You can hit it. You've got a strong arm. Boom, you throw the rock and you break the window. And here comes someone yelling, uh-oh, you're in trouble now. Well, that's the same thing the devil does. The devil says, eat of it, eat of it. And then man eats of it, and guess what? Ooh, they're separated from God. Spirit. Death in the Bible is not a physical thing, folks. It's a spiritual thing. And the devil goes, oh, you're in trouble now. That's so like the devil. And that's so like us. Give me a thousand earths, give me a thousand Adam and Eves, and I'll give you a thousand Pauls. Because, guys, that just seems to be our nature. And we fall for the big lie, don't we? Now, there's consequences. What's the consequence? You and I aren't in the garden anymore because of our great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. Now, there's only one way to get rid of the chaos monsters in you. See, their story is our story. Let the king of kings rule in our hearts. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God. How many gods are there, folks? Just one. The ancients now understand that. And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for men. The story called life has an author. It's Jesus Christ. He says, you're not here by accident. He's saying, I created you. I love you. I I want you. You are my masterpiece. And so it boils down, really the story boils down to this. Our story is their story. Adam and Eve were tempted and they went for it and they were separated from God. You and I, when we came to an age of accountability, when we knew right from wrong, God said, of all these trees you could freely eat, don't do that, Bruce, don't do it. 
follow me, serve me. And guess what I did? I reached out and I ate. And what do I know about every single one of you? You did the same thing. Because my Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now there is hope. There is another tree of life. But it's in this shape right here. The shape of a cross. And Jesus invites his wayward children to come back to him. And now we've just come full circle again, haven't we? That's redemption. He purchased us with his own blood. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It can be restored in Christ. Let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your creation. You know what, folks? In in, in order to love the book that we're going to be reading over the next 31 weeks, 30 weeks now, you need to know the author. He's the Lord God Almighty. He wrote this book. It is real. It is true. And He'll make himself known to you, not just in creation, but he'll make himself known to you through his son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for clearing up the confusion of where we came from, what we're doing here, and where we're going. If if you're not sure about where you're going when you die one day, you need to get right with your creator this morning. And it's real simple. It's called faith, repentance, and baptism. And if you need to make that decision, we stand ready to help you with it. And he will welcome you home. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing to the Lord.